politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to once again fight for our life, our liberty, our property, our values, our body. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house at Blaze Media virtually for Monday, June the 6th. This is a pre-record because I am out. But for you guys, this is D-Day, the 78th anniversary of the longest day. I can't believe it that it was just like yesterday. We were at the 50th anniversary. Now you practically have to be 100 years old to have been a veteran. We are losing those precious treasures every year. And when you think about everything they did, the odds of that invasion, it's truly unbelievable uh, why they truly did deserve the name The Greatest Generation. We are not called upon to do that. Despite the fact that I believe we face a greater existential threat that's internal than even they did, and our country is already destroyed. But all it takes is activism. We don't need to do what they did. All we need to do is to think outside the box, stop doubling down on the same failed politicians, strategy, talkers, and mix it up. It's not going to be a matter of a silver bullet. It's going to be multiple things, but they all have to begin with the point that what we're doing is not working. We need something new, and it's got to revolve around the principle that the way you fight globalism, which is the umbrella of all the problems we're facing today, is through localism. The fact that we have – we don't have to run away to somewhere to Antarctica and create a new country, even though the country we have is dead and we do need a new one, because we already have autonomous states and to a certain extent autonomous 3,000 counties. And the reality is there are more states where people, the majority of people and sometimes supermajority share our values than the other side. And about 80% of the counties are like that as well. And if We only asserted ourselves as strongly as the left does in their areas, in our areas, and ensured that the political leadership and representation reflected those values. And then again, had those values reflect back and lead the people, we would come to this de facto national divorce, which we need anyway. We would have been there already. And there's multiple ways of doing this, of fostering that divide. And I know that sounds very divisive, but we already are divided. What do you do when you're living in Eastern Oregon? We're going to have a very special guest talk about this. And you have the Portland-Salem area where you have BLM and Antifa rampaging and them letting out murderers and treating people that don't wear a mask as murderers. You can't live and share the same space with those people, nor should you have to. When two-thirds, three-quarters of the state's landmass is may as well be a different universe from them. But by making red states red again, then we're going to start talking about moving boundaries. And these are ideas that are under, they are under consideration, and we need to start thinking outside the box. So we're going to talk about that on our special interview today. Um, Our sponsor today, and very appropriate for the gun analogy I want to start off with, is iTarget Pro. 
you go to itargetpro.com, put an offer code CR. You get free shipping and 10% off your laser bullet that you could put in. It's a dummy bullet. You put in your handgun, your rifle, and you download their app. And then you could start timing your draw from the holster, your sight alignment, picture alignment, five point five count draw, uh, trigger control. Because if you jerk that trigger, it will render the shot. Even though it's all safe in the comfort of your home, you save thousands of dollars on ammo, but you keep up your training regiment, your muscle memory. It is so important now more than ever. Uh, get it for yourself. Give it as a gift. That's the letter itargetpro.com, itargetpro.com, offer code CR. So I wanted to demonstrate why we could have nice things, why we could have leadership that represents us. Just look at Florida. Until now, it's been a swing state. DeSantis barely won it four years ago. And just in one day, it was it was Thursday, I think, DeSantis announced that he's cutting, he, he line-item vetoed $35 million out of the Tampa Bay uh, Rays, the baseball team they are going to build a stadium, and then they started mouthing off on gun control, and he's like, screw that. You know, taxpayers should fund things that are universal, but if you're a left-wing political organization, why should we give you funding just like we don't fund right-wing political organizations? He announced he was punishing contractors who dump illegals into the state. In general, he cut $3.1 billion in spending from the budget through his line-item veto. He asked the state medical board to ban castration surgery for minors and Medicaid recipients. And then he announced the state of Florida got the Special Olympics. Originally, it's going to be held in Florida. They're going to take disabled people and make them have a clot shot in order to participate. Mainly young people, but they're disabled, and they're, you know, a lot of them are really at risk for this. So he was like, screw that. We'll take away your $27 million. Or, or no, they were going to levy them $27 million in fines for trying to defy the law. And they back down. All in the course of a day. All in a state that was regarded as more swing. Why can't we do this? Why don't we have this in Alabama, Oklahoma, the Dakotas, Kentucky, Indiana, you know, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming? There are so many states where we could be doing this and more, and the more states we have doing it, the more it will lift, the tide will lift all boats, and you won't have one governor out on a limb, and we could do more and more and more. But he is the only one we have. We keep having this problem. I, I, I gave a speech out in New Mexico when we did our uh, training with about 80 people and I hope to invite you on the next course we have, hopefully in a few months, for defensive handgun training. And I used analogies from two things that we practice, two concepts. One's a failure to stop drill, and action versus reaction. And the point is, when you do a controlled pair to the thoracic cavity, you know, center mass, that's where you're supposed to hit. Let's say he's wearing body armor, or he's on drugs, so it doesn't affect him yet and didn't hit a vital organ yet. Um, and it just doesn't work, and he's still coming at you. You have to shake it up. That was your failure to stop him. You have to try something new. And that's when they train, while you're assessing the situation, to immediately be able to go for an accurate 
headshot. You know, right kind of between the eyes and the, and the mouth. Because you don't want to go too high because then the skull could bounce it off or, or too low because the bone structure. And then you'll ensure that you kill him. But you can't keep doing the same thing. And also, when you do it, you have to have action-reaction. You don't want to only be reacting to your opponent. You want to throw him off guard and make him react to you. So every time you take a, a, a shot, you step off the firing line. Take a step, shoot. Oh, it didn't work as I'm assessing. I take another step, make a headshot. And then immediately assess and take another step to see if I have to do something more. You always move off the firing line. You're the one dictating the action. That's what DeSantis is doing. But this is what we're failing to do anywhere else. We're always reacting. We need to have movements that are all going to relentlessly focus on localism, on red-pilling a cohesive reaction from red counties, red communities to make them red again. And in red states, make them redder or red. And red counties and blue states, perhaps we need to start redrawing lines and looking towards red states. And that will help red states become more red because you get all the best refugees from the other states. There's nothing sacred about these boundaries. These are all things that we can't poo-poo and just, oh, no, it's not going to work. I can't do it. Can't do it. We need to try all different things. It's not a matter of any one thing. But this is what we're going to look at. How could we push in multiple parts of the country where people already share our values to make the elected politics and strategies reflect that and to create a momentum behind being as strong in our beliefs as the Antifa crowd is in theirs. And one of two things will happen. Either that will force them to back down to an extent, place a check and balance on them, or it will force the national divorce we all know we need. Where, look, we'll still have a country, we'll have shared custody over certain things like a divorced couple does, and you have to communicate, have reciprocity with certain things, but look, you want to do your things in, 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 in your city as you do, but you know where we are, we're going to do our thing. How is it that in a state like Utah, at a time where DeSantis is doing his thing in Florida, this is what Spencer Cox puts out last week. In Utah, we strive to sustain a culture of hope, love, understanding, and respect by celebrating our common humanity. The Pride Month let us all work to be more inclusive and accepting of the LGBT. Q plus members of our community. This is the Utah freaking governor. And I will tell you most of the GOP governors are like that. Why? Why? It's because we've failed to say that this is our territory. This is not happening here. Just like the people in Portland, they're like, when they demand something, they get it. We need the same mindset. And that's what I'm going to discuss today through the prism of the greater Idaho movement moving eastern Oregon and maybe eventually eastern Washington and northern Nevada and California into that as well. And creating our own new, that, that might be the sanctuary one day, not just for those people, but eventually kind of rivaling what we have. These are the type of ideas we need to do to shake up the system. Failure to stop, do something different. 
Rather than react, we make them react to us. We do an action. But it's not just for them. This could reverberate in many other parts of the country. Now, our interview today is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Speaking of not taking it anymore, stop allowing um, big tech to spy on everything you do and sell your money, sell your information to advertisers. So it's a breach of privacy, but also you are paying for the rope to hang yourselves. Put a mask, not on your face, but on your computer. ExpressVPN is the app that I trust. It's so easy to use. One tap of the button. I never even think about it. You know, It doesn't pop up and bother you all the time. Just that one time, all your network data is protected. It's private, done. iPhone, Android, tablet, laptop, desktop, whatever. It works on all your devices. You can have up to five devices at the same time on the base uh, family subscription. I have my entire family, everything on ExpressVPN. I want you guys to have that too. Look, Verizon even admitted that um, you know they're collecting data on you, on whatever you do. So when your phone carrier tracks you, that's a gross invasion of your privacy. You can either keep letting them do it, or you could have your own failure-to-stop drill and take your own action in your hands. Go to expressvpn.com slash conservative to get the same VPN I use. Take back your online privacy and stop paying those who hate us. Get an extra three months free by going to expressvpn.com slash conservative. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash conservative. Expressvpn.com slash conservative. So before we bring in our special guest today, I just want to frame for you the importance of the Greater Idaho Movement moving the boundary, inviting Eastern Oregon, the conservative part, the rural part, into the state to not just the people in Oregon, but to actually raising the tide of conservatism throughout Idaho itself and reminding the governor that people need a place to go to and people are longing for Idaho to so actually make Idaho, Idaho. And teaching people the importance of actually getting involved locally and red-pilling your own people that already understand that what's going on either in Washington or their local you know, leftist capital is terrible, but what are you going to do about it? Stop focusing on just voting Republican in a general election every two years and getting nothing in return. You have to think of new ideas. You have to make sure the elected officials, but most importantly, even if you don't win the primary, but the policies are reflected in them, that you have this culture of activism that they can't get away with going along with the tranny agenda and lockdowns and cultural Marxism and illegal aliens and, and open borders and crime and all this stuff in your area. That's not gonna that's not gonna fly. I wanna underscore that and how it's, it reverberates across all red states really and potentially red counties. I got this email recently from Robert in northern Idaho. And he's commenting on this this point I've been making throughout the primaries that no matter what, incumbents keep getting elected and that our voters are broadly frustrated with the same things we are, but they're just uninformed about the who's who and what's what of politics. And that's been the frustration that that I've certainly had. And he rightfully notes, I'm just reading from his email here, the exception to this narrative is the Panhandle counties in northern Idaho, north Idaho. Brenton Regan has been chair of the Kootenai County Central Committee for several years 
and has a system where the Central Committee interviews and endorses candidates if the majority uh, votes to do so. And obviously, North Idaho, just like the rest of the state, Democrats can't really run, so they have to run as Republicans. And KCRCC endorsed nearly all challengers to statewide positions and against three incumbents in the state legislature in our county. They all won. They all won. So, So their central committee has ensured that they've done that. And if you remember, in these counties, Janice McGeehan downright won those counties. Those are the only areas that she won. Um, he notes in Bonner County, this guy Scott Herndon defeated Woodward, a thorn in our flesh. Yes, Woodward was one of the liberal, uh, liberal, liberal uh, Republicans in the legislature. And, you know, it was high turnout. You know, usually you only do it with a low turnout. The local leftist paper endorsed all the bad candidates, but no one listened to them, couldn't care less. Kudos for them. And, and, and I, don't, I didn't need this email to know that. I know about North Idaho. Why aren't we seeing that elsewhere? And that needs to be a model. But one of the ways you can make the rest of Idaho like North Idaho is by bringing in the most conservative voters who are disenchanted and disenfranchised in Oregon, places where there's people that have values that are as American as as anywhere, but they're governed by Antifa and BLM out of Portland and Salem. Even though, I mean, it's really the entire eastern part of the state, really the eastern two-thirds, and really the entire southwest, even up to the coast. It's only the northwest, and, and even in the northwest, there's, there's pockets that are, there's counties there that are totally conservative, um, but they overpower it, like, like we see in many states. But Oregon is really a very, very strong contrast because you have a, a huge contiguous block there uninterrupted like in washington it's a similar thing but you do have spokane you have a you know a little bit of an urban area um that messes it up but here you have contiguous there's no reason there's nothing sacred about those boundaries now until now greater idaho moving boundaries consolidating our areas uniting our areas that was a pipe dream and it still is a tough hill to climb but you never know what circumstances will come about that will make it possible that God will give us that opportunity, but we have to be ready to harness that, to utilize it. There's a terrific organization called Citizens for Greater Idaho, and I want you guys, as we speak and do this interview, to go to greateridaho.org and go to their maps, just if you're not familiar with the area, to follow along as we, we talk about some of the ideas and what they've been doing. Nine counties in eastern uh, I- uh, Oregon have already voted to accept this idea of submitting a plan to the state legislature to to potentially uh, move to Idaho and be a part of Idaho. Um, My good friend Barbara Ehart, she's in the Idaho House. She held a hearing on this last year, was very favorably disposed towards inviting them in from the Idaho end. And they've really done their homework, and they're really notching up victories, at least at the preliminary stage. How does this work? Where does it need to go? What would be the benefits? How do we accomplish this? How does it reverberate throughout the country? With us is Matt McCall, one of the leaders of this movement of Citizens for Greater Idaho. He's a small business owner. He's a lifelong Oregonian who lived on both sides of the state, which has may as well be different countries. So he's certainly aware of this problem, and he is going to walk us through this. So again, pull up your maps at greateridaho.org. And a special welcome to Matt McCall. Matt, thanks so much for joining us here today at Blaze Media. 
Yeah, thanks, Daniel, for the opportunity to come uh, talk about Greater Idaho and what we can do to uh, match people's governance with their values. And and that's really what our movement is about. So uh, Greater Idaho is about self-determination and the ability for people to choose the kind of governance that matches their values. And in Oregon right now, uh, as, as you, you talked about, it's, Oregon is a very liberal state uh, at the state government level. However, the whole state is not like that. The west side of the state and the northwest section of the state primarily is uh, the heavily populated urban part of the state, and they have the numbers to overwhelm the rest of the state. But the eastern side of the state is very uh, conservative. It's very rural. It's uh, the economy the economics are different. It's farming, it's ranching. Um, it, like you said, it might as well be two different worlds. Eastern Oregonians are very different than Western Oregonians. Um, and there has been an urban rural divide in Oregon for a long time. Uh, it has been, I, I grew up, I was born in central Oregon. So I grew up, uh, well, I was born in Southern Oregon, but I grew up in central Oregon. Uh, so I've been part of this for a long time, but, um, the polarization between the west side and the east side and uh, what the politics on the left and the politics on the right have gotten um, just we just got more polarized over the last couple of years, especially. Uh, And so at the same time that Oregon has this huge divide between the west side and the east side, uh, Oregon also borders on a, a state that is incredibly similar to the values and culture of the eastern half of the state, and that's Idaho. Uh, so the folks in eastern Oregon identify much more uh, with Idaho values-wise, culture-wise, politics-wise, economics-wise, um, much more with Idaho than they do with Oregon. And so as an organization, we've come along and said, it's time to, to match up people's governance with their actual values. In, in other words, if the people in Portland and Salem – and the Democrat, you know, bosses that control the state were intellectually honest. They'd understand. Look, we don't want these people. We hate them. They clearly hate you. They hate the values. We we know that. Um, but you know, it's not just rooted in just religion or politics. And also, like you said, I mean, it's just it's very different. Um, the the topography is different. The geography is different. The economy is different. Uh, it 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 has much more to do with Idaho, much more in common than it does with those areas. So you have really only like, you know, eight to 10 uh, Democrat counties in a, in a given year, and you have more actually conservative ones, and certainly the landmass is much larger. Um, so just talk about the premise of doing this, the precedent and the premise. People think these boundaries are sacred. It sounds crazy, outlandish. How are you going to do it? Describe the history behind some of these boundaries and what it would take to change them. Yeah, so so like you said, so so state boundaries um, have changed through throughout the history of the United States, and they can change. And there's a mechanism in place to to change those. So th- these are not permanent lines set in stone for the rest of eternity. Uh, they are boundaries that can move, and and there's a mechanism for doing it. And it's actually quite simple, and it it simply involves the. Uh, an interstate compact between the two legislatures of bordering states. So the legislature in Idaho and the legislature in Oregon could get together and say, you know what, we want to move the border from the Snake River all the way over to, you know, the crest of the Cascades. And if both legislatures agree, 
they they form an interstate compact. They send it off to to the national congress, and if they sign off, the borders move, and it's it's just that simple. Um, so that's what we're proposing, and and that's the the uh, the path that we are. Uh, attempting to to move forward on, and so what we have done. So so we are a grassroots organization. We just started a couple years ago. Um, some people, you know, said, "How can we, as, as Eastern Oregonians, uh, over time, our political influence has waned, uh, our voice has waned, more and more policies from Western Oregon are being forced on us that we don't want. Um, how can we?" preserve our way of life essentially and and we came up with this idea of moving the border so that we could be so that our state governance could could be idaho which is much more aligned with with our our values um so we decided the best way to do that was to go county by county in eastern oregon and southern oregon so so we have worked hard over the last two years to get petitions uh signatures to get uh measures on the ballot asking citizens in these counties if they want to explore moving the border. Um, and, and what we have found... So, so what exactly are they that, voting on technically? What are they voting to do? So so technically, so the way, and I don't want to get too in the weeds on this, but, but the way a ballot measure works is, is that you have to kind of uh, frame it as like a law. You can't just get a ballot measure and, and get signatures to ask people a poll question, essentially. Yeah, so we'd like, love do you to want be to join to Idaho? Say, right, right. We'd love to just be able to say, do you want to join Idaho? But that's not the way that the ballot measure system works in Oregon. So what we, most of our counties, what the people have voted on is, do they want their county commissioners to meet multiple times a year to discuss moving the border? Got it. Um, and, and so that's kind of the, that's kind of the, there's some different language in the different counties, but that's kind of the gist of it for most of them. And um, so we have gotten that question, you know, gotten the signatures, gotten that, those questions in front of voters um, in 10 different counties in Eastern Oregon. Nine of them have passed it. The one county that didn't, it was razor thin. It was like 40 votes. Um, they're going to vote on it again. What we're finding is is that when we get, when we actually put this in front of voters, voters say, Yes, please. How do we make this happen? And and anecdotally, that's you know I, I travel around and I talk to a lot of people about Greater Idaho, and and I don't have to sell people on this idea. The people in Eastern Oregon understand how much better that their values would be represented, how they would have a voice, how they would have representation if they were part of Idaho that they're not getting as part of Oregon. Now I I'd have to I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the the you know failure so far. So you 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 went eight for eight. Pretty much, although I say I think you did lose one very narrowly. You got a ninth just a couple of weeks ago, but in the same election, there were two counties um, in the southwest. For those that are not familiar with Oregon, really, the entire southwest is almost as conservative as the east. Um, you know, these two counties really. I'm looking at the Trump vote was pretty much two to one Trump. Um, mm -hmm. and Douglas and Josephine, but nonetheless, those two very narrow majorities, especially in one razor razor thin, but did vote it down. Um, what, yep. what's your takeaway? Was there just confusion or is there a, or are they not fundamentally as gung ho as let's say the Eastern part is? Yeah, that's, that's a good question, Daniel. And, and, you know, our, my, my personal feelings are people, um, the, their biggest 
sticking point with our movement is is they wonder if it's actually possible. Like, is this a waste mm-hmm. of time? Is is this something that is you know um, that could even happen? Um, that's the number one thing that I get like like from people. So I think there's part of that uh, part of that that plays into that vote is just like, well, why would I vote yes on this? It's, you know, I don't think this is possible. Um, it also, you know, we were surprised to lose in Southern Oregon because as you said, it is a very conservative, uh, uh, part of the state. Um, but at the same time, we are, uh, we're not trying to drag anybody yes. with us that, that doesn't want to go. Like, like we really are about, uh, we, we want people that want to change their governance we're going to help advocate for that to happen. And so uh, we were disappointed to lose those Southern Oregon counties, but, um, but we are, have, you know, revised our, our proposal and now we're fo- focusing on Eastern Oregon and we're winning in Eastern Oregon with, with big numbers. Uh, it's, it's clear that voters in Eastern Oregon want us to keep moving forward on this. Got it. Okay, so what's what's the next step? You, you, uh, folks, you can go again to greateridaho.org, look at the maps. You could see the original proposal was really to get everything except for the corner out of there. Um, but now we'll say, okay, just take the eastern half for now, and you could always, as it builds momentum, it'll probably grow. I'm sure if it would ever succeed, the eastern uh, <laughs> Washington folks would clamor, and then you'll have northern Nevada and California counties get involved. I mean, it only takes one success, one example of this, and I think you're going to see, heck, my uh, western Maryland here uh, would would fit in much better with the West Virginia panhandle than be a part of Baltimore, Washington, uh, you know, conglomerate of just urban cesspool and uh, federal morass. So they have nothing to do with that. And that's what you need. And everything looks impossible until it's possible. And I think that's that's the problem. Too many conservatives are naysayers. Well, what's absolutely impossible is to win by doing the same thing we're doing now. Right? That That absolutely is impossible. And you're not going to pressure the swingy people and then even some of the Democrats to relent and and be pressured until our own people are fully emphatic about something. So if you're not going to be fully emphatic because you think it's not feasible, then again, I mean, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I understand what you're trying to do. But what is the next step? I, I think more or less you're right. You will definitely get all of the eastern. You have the majority of the eastern counties within the next uh, you know election cycle. You're going to get the rest on board for it. So what's the timeline with the legislature? How do things look on either side of the legislature? You know, Idaho and Oregon. And, you know, we talk about the Democrats in Portland and Salem we t- and, and Eugene. And we talk about, you know, the conservatives in Idaho want this. And we talk about the local locals in eastern Oregon want it. Well, the bridge are the state legislative elected officials from eastern Oregon. Where are they? Yeah, so that's a great question. So, so we have, as you mentioned, uh, Idaho has had a hearing already about uh, Greater Idaho about the topic. Um, we are pushing to get a hearing in the Oregon legislature. Um, that's kind of one of our next steps. But what we need is we need our elected representatives in Eastern Oregon um, to step up and start advocating for what the voters are clearly saying that they want. Um, so we are meeting currently with with different uh, representatives and senators in Eastern Oregon and uh, trying to find somebody that will, will take up our cause. Uh, we have lots of, of representatives that will, you know, tell us they support the movement, but we haven't found somebody yet to, you know, pick up the ball and move it forward. Um, and what we're asking for at this point is 
for a joint memorial. So, so the next step would be for us to get a hearing in the uh, Oregon legislature and then also to get a representative or senator and hopefully a lot of co-sponsors to put forth a memorial uh, asking to start negotiations with the state of Idaho. At this point, it's clear that voters in eastern Oregon want to explore moving the border and, and they want their their representatives to be talking to Idaho about what that would look like. Um, we have representatives in Idaho that are already ready to move forward with Memorial to start negotiations. So we're, we're trying to get that, uh, that legislator in Oregon. And, and it would be great if it was one of these Eastern Oregon representatives whose voters are, are voting for this uh, to move that Memorial forward. Yeah. So in other words, again, you got to make your area at least, uh, the elected representatives reflect those values. And I think I sense in your voice, you have a little bit of that problem that we all see in a lot of these areas where they're not quite Democrats and they're upset with what the Democrats are doing, but they're not exactly Ron DeSantis molds. And, and, and that's something that hopefully this movement could generate that excitement to start saying, hey, well, you know, we complain about Northwest Oregon, but what about our area? Are the Republicans even reflecting us? And then that's how you kind of get on the map. Uh, what about the logistics? Um, have you thought through some of the biggest challenges that you'll have to get ahead of? Let's say you did have the political support or close to enough political support, but what are some of the disruptions of life that you would have to navigate ahead of time? Have you thought that through yet? Yeah, so, so one of the questions we get a lot are about licensing and, and things like that, right? Like, so you have a small business, you have a license for this or that. How is that going to get grandfathered into to the state of Idaho? And, and what's that going to look like? Um, state of Idaho has a sales tax. Oregon does not. Um, th- there's lots of hurdles like that. But what our answer to a lot of those things is some of these things, we can kind of presume what's going to happen. But we don't really know what's going to happen until the two state legislators legislators sit down and hash these things out. Um, there's, you know, one of the positives about our movement is there is not a lot of state land, state owned land in Eastern Oregon. Um, so we're, you know, moving giant forests or parcels of land from Oregon to Idaho. Uh, it, that doesn't exist. So, so that's one hurdle that's less, but there are, there are going to be certain hurdles, uh, you know, public employees retirement PERS is a big big deal in Oregon and it's got a lot of unfunded liability and and things like that that the the two legislatures are going to have to talk about okay if if we are going to move this border what is that going to mean you know like for the citizens uh is there going to have to be money exchange is there going to have to be rules that you know like are just grandfathered in and and uh, that's all going to be part of the negotiation process now isn't most of your area federal land does that yep. play a role <laughs> i i don't see why it would play a role uh you know like we're not you know again one of the great things about our movement is is this is a uh it's a big step because moving the border is a big step and it's not something that's happened a lot although it has happened throughout history um uh so but in this case not moving a ton of people like, like you're moving like around 400,000 people. There's only one state or a federal representative that represents the portion of Oregon that we're looking to move to Idaho. Uh, he's already a, a Republican. So you'd be looking at like one electoral vote that would move. So, so politically, it wouldn't cause this massive disruption. Um, it would. 
but it would give these 400,000 people representation that matches their values. For, so yeah, your your phase one, your minimum ask is 400,000 people, and you could see it on the map there. Obviously, you know, theoretically, there's a lot more areas that you know, landmass wise, that are conservative, and then eastern Washington. Uh, northern Nevada, northern California, you could potentially get a seacoast, and we could only speculate what we'd want to do with that, I think, is a little bit more than just a red state. And um, these are the type of solutions we need to think of. But to me, the way I view it is you guys are asserting your will. Like, you know, if you're being abused to at least say, we don't want to take it, we want to leave. So even if they don't work with you to do that, maybe it will you'll get something, something out of it, but you got to start and negotiate from this. So even if you don't succeed in this, this uh, idea itself, which I hope you do, I do see value in it in the long term. Um, speaking of that federal elected representative, um, Congressman. Mm-hmm. So have you guys broached this with him? Um, I have not. So I personally don't know the answer to that. I have not personally talked to, uh, to our congressman about this. Um, I'm sure he's aware of us. It's, it's hard to be in Oregon and not have heard of our movement at this point. Yep. Um, so I'm sure he has an opinion. I'm just not sure exactly what it is. Um, yep. but Cliff Benz, I mean, it's essentially, yep, yep, yep. essentially represents most of that area that you'd, you'd want to break away. It's a pretty large area. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you're right because even, you know, your phase, it's, it's even a little bigger than your phase one and it's still all encompassed in that one second congressional district of Oregon. So it would just flip one, you know, even though it would be two thirds of the state or whatever, it would be one of its, uh, electoral votes. Um, is this, does this pass simply by statute at a federal level? You know, I'm not, I'm not positive about the that answer so my understanding is that an interstate compact to, to change a border is something that's between two state legislatures and then that goes back to federal congress and and it's usually not a big deal so like there's been instances where the oregon washington border had to be relocated slightly i believe like the nebraska missouri border had to be uh, moved slightly in the 60s or, or something like that and it, it's it's Really, basically, the, the two states agree to make it happen, and then the Fed, federal, you know, the, the national Congress just signs off and says, yes, we're okay with that, you know, move yeah. the border. In, in other words, you don't need any supermajority thing like a federal constitution, right? It's already in, gosh, uh, right. it's Article 4, Section 3, right, the admission clause where it says you need the consent of – the states, um, the states involved in terms of erecting new jurisdictions within a state, and then you know the the, the legislature's concern as well as of Congress. So the same way you would get the consent of the legislature, presumably with a majority vote pursuant to whatever uh, parliamentary procedures you have, it would be the same thing with Congress. I don't. I mean, yeah. To my knowledge, I don't think there's another congressional rule that necessarily governs this. Um, you know, presumably it would be subject to a filibuster, I think, um, unless there's some carve out there that, you know, we might not necessarily know about. Um, so, again, I mean, obviously it is a long road. But again, to me, what's important about it is typically this is different from any other issue. 
typically you're never, whenever you need the left to support something, in this case, you're going to need the left in the Oregon legislature and you're, you're going to need the left in Congress, um, especially the Senate, no matter what, to at some point indulge your movement. So typically, right. you're never going to get the left to indulge a long-held view of ours that they disagree with. They're just never going to do that. But this is a little different because it's not an issue. It's just saying, look, let us go. We're not asking anything of you. We're not just, just leave us alone. Um, you know, let it go. You could have your super majority, you know, then you could have super majorities in your legislature there and do what you want. Let that go there. And they would actually have to say, no, we oppose that. We want to control you from the cities. We want we we don't respect our differences. We don't respect other people. We're gonna run you over. And I think, you know, what's beautiful. I I want that conversation. And I think that's what you relish. I want that debate because if we're confined to one part of the country, maybe you could sleep through it. But everyone in all fifty states, pretty much, some more than others, could relate to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so Daniel, like to, speaking of like, would would Western Oregon let Eastern Oregon go? We there was uh, some polling done in January of Northwest Oregon residents, and they came back and they asked a question: Should Oregon state government look into uh, what the effect would be if some counties became part of? Idaho and how that transition could be done smoothly. And 68% of residents in Northwest Oregon Mm. uh, supported that idea. People inherently understand that when somebody's unhappy in a relationship and they just want to go, that you let them go. Like, like that's the right thing to do. Um, And and so I think the voters understand that. And and I think that, that um, the politicians and and the people that, um, uh, would actually be voting on those things also understand that. And, and there are other, you know, there would be economic benefits to the West side. Uh, Eastern Oregon is, uh, has a lower, you know, per capita income than Western Oregon. It's, it's very similar to Idaho. So it's not like Idaho would be adopting all these poor States, but again, it's because economics and, and culture and, and everything is very similar between Idaho and Eastern Oregon. Um, those counties are, are very similar to average income to those to Idaho, but they would be leaving Western Oregon, and so Western Oregon actually right now subsidizes Eastern Oregon, uh, you know, a certain amount every year with tax dollars. So there would be an economic benefit to Western Oregon. Uh, it would be the right thing to do, and um, yeah, it would be a win-win for for both sides. And and I I, I believe that because. I could say where I am in Maryland, you take these cosmopolitan, you know, I call them the conduits that they just, uh, whatever the social media says at a given moment, that's what they're thinking. You know, just just conduit people in the Baltimore-Washington metro, they don't can't relate to people in Western Maryland. They don't understand it. They don't know them. Um, they don't like them. I mean, that's the truth of it. I mean, we all know that. And... To them, they're the same as people in Morgantown, West Virginia. So you may as well just include, you know, in our case, Garrett, Allegheny, Washington counties at a minimum in that area and and done. And I think it would pull well. I think it would be very interesting to force the the leftist politicians to talk about this. You know, because it, it's not their typical dogma. Okay, well, what do you think? What, you just want to beat them into the ground? Why? You know, what's your motivation there? 
and it, it just speaks to the core divide. Um, typically, we like doing things that reverberate nationally. I don't like focusing just on someone's local interest here. You know, people in Oregon would like it, but what about elsewhere? But it speaks to the divide uh, that this is the problem. It's not so simple because we don't have red states and blue states. I think we all know that. Um, you go to Texas and Houston and Austin are as left as anything in California, right? So you have it in both directions, and it's really a city-country divide. It's not a state-by-state divide, and I think that's what you guys are speaking to. Absolutely, and, and, and this is a solution. The, the urban-rural divide is a real problem. It's gotten worse over the last few years as, as we become more polarized, and this is a solution path that, that would solve those issues, and, and it's the solution path that when we put this in front of voters, it's the solution path that voters are saying they want their elected leaders to pursue. No, absolutely, absolutely, and we're and we're seeing this all over the place, um, and you know people are saying either we do nothing or we have a civil war. But the way to avoid that is, like you said, an amicable divorce. I mean, clearly, what I find so bizarre is we're not even fighting over the same luggage. That's the thing. We're not fighting over the same assets like in a in a divorce. Sometimes you have a messy divorce, or you know, obviously you're gonna have custody over the kids. You know, they want the social workers. We want the cops, right? right. They want. Uh, they don't want um, plastic bags and straws, but they want illegals and MS-13. So, so go have it. Uh, you know, we want criminals locked up. They like criminals let out. So, go have it. You know, th- that's the irony of all this. You know, they they want. Uh, we want the ivermectin and they want the mask and the shot. So, go get it. Go, go get, we're not going to force it on you. We don't want to force anything on them. The problem is they want to force right. their will on us, and that's that's kind of the thing. It's asymmetric. I think we would let them go if we were in that position. They, you know, we're going to have the challenge the other way around. What about from the Idaho perspective? If you're living in Idaho, why do you want this mess on your hands? Yeah, good good question. Also, so if you're on the Idaho side, you're going to inherit. A huge landmass. It's going to, you know, double the size of, of your state. You're going to have resources. Um, so you've got natural resources. You're going to get 400,000 conservative, uh, you know, mostly conservative voters that that vote. They 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 vote politically the way you vote. They culturally are the way you, uh, you know, traditional values and and everything the way that uh, that Idaho is. So it's going to make Idaho more like Idaho and be able to stay like Idaho for longer Mm. um, by increasing its footprint and increasing its population with with like-minded, similar people. Wow. No, I think that could be applied many, many other states because, again, even in the red states, you have the urban areas. Boise's changing over your parts of the Treasure Valley. Here you move eastern Oregon into that. You get northern Idaho and, and some of those other areas, you know, multiplied uh, doubled, and then uh, you have a permanent, permanent majority there. Um, let me end off with this. So obviously, you know, you have to work it at a county level, but really you need to start getting this more prominently into the legislature with a hearing yep. and at least one member championing it, uh, a concrete proposal. Um, Oregon's a funny state for people who don't know. On the one hand, it's gotten really loony and left very recently, but because it does have a very large contiguous landmass of conservative areas, unlike, say, Massachusetts or my state of Maryland, like in Maryland, Democrats irrevocably have uh, 
two and a half to one super majorities forever. Whereas in Oregon, you know, it's interesting. It's like, you know, you, you flip a four or five seats and you get the Senate, you flip maybe, uh, I'm, I'm just off the top of my head, six seats or so, six, seven in the House, and you win it. And you go back not too far, maybe 15 years ago, the Republicans actually held both houses for a period of time. Now, not all those Republicans were great, but the point is it's not like California, Massachusetts, and Maryland in many respects. Um, so if if there really is a wave year, which it's turning out to be, it, it, it's not inconceivable that you could possibly actually win, I say you, it won't necessarily be people that share values, but the Republican Party, uh, the state government, possibly a trifecta. We, it would be pretty amazing, but you know, certainly to win one body of, of maybe the Senate, my question is, is it better or worse for your movement if that would happen? Yeah, another good question. So I would see that as a win for our movement because people's biggest concern about roadblocks is would a Democratic supermajority legislature ever let us go, right? Um, so so that's, that is people's biggest concern. Um, if we are able to have a huge red wave and, and get um, conservative representation, um, it's most likely going to be temporary, but it would be at a perfect time to be able to make this change that would then permanently solve this urban role. Yeah, but, but let me challenge you on that. Two things. Number one, <laughs> in terms of the people, we all know when you have Republicans in charge, they could be the worst Republicans. Doesn't matter. Life's good. People will be on cloud nine. I mean, it would be an unbelievable thing. I'm, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if Salem changed over, that would be an unbelievable thing. People would be on cloud nine. I know it. And they're, they, won't, right. they, they won't see a need for it. And then also from the perspective of the Republicans walk me through how that would work. So you have a Republican majority legislature that's we're going to let it go. Well, most of your areas are going to be from the areas seceding. You'll inevitably have to have you know some spillover in other areas to get a majority. No, no doubt about it. How does that work? Um, yeah, it, it would not necessarily be in their best interest politically as a party to, to uh, let us go, but it would be in the best interest of their constituents and the 400,000 people that are clearly saying that they want their elected leaders to do this. Yep. And um, so regardless of what happens in November, um, you know, obviously we want more representation and we want our voices heard out here in Eastern Oregon, regardless of what happens, we're going to keep moving forward on this because we think and, and our voters agree that the best long-term solution uh, for having governance that matches our values is to be part of Idaho and change that border. Wow. And, you know, I'm just thinking as you're talking, the truth be told, the pitch to these guys is, all right, do you want two years in the majority in Oregon, which is very tenuous, and you're never going to control Portland, you're never going to control their areas, they're going to do what they do, unlike us, where we get controlled when we're in the minority, they do what they want. Or do you want to be permanently in the majority in Idaho? You could represent right. that part in the legislature there. And I think, you, you know, I would advise you guys start getting candidates uh, for, for county and state legislature to start uh, championing this and, you know, to start thinking long term. Long term, it's unsustainable. Uh, it's just never going to be good for you. I applaud you guys for putting in the effort to that. Um Again, it's greateridaho.org. Uh, any closing thoughts, Matt, before we sew up? 
No, I just I thank you for the opportunity to come in and talk about this. Uh, people can go to Greater Idaho. They can sign up for updates to see what's happening. There's lots. Of, we hear from lots of people. Hey, can you can my state be part of this? Can can my county? You know, why can't I be part of this? There's no reason, Daniel, why this can't be. Uh, what we're doing here in Oregon can't be a template across the country, um, and and that where people that are in a political minority that are not having their their voices heard or their representation, but they have the ability to, you know, have a border change. There's no reason we can't replicate this across the country and get more people um, the kind of governance they want. Yes, and I think what a lot of people forget is while it sounds very novel and edgy and risky, really states are as large today as the entire country was during our founding. So just like they understood that they didn't want everything controlled from a centralized federal government, they did want to retain strong state sovereignty and only delegate to the federal government certain specific things, which of course we didn't want to following. But it's a similar thing here. I mean, when you have states, obviously the population has grown over over uh, you know, 240 or so years, and it's just you've grown so far apart it's being governed by Salem Portland is the same thing as being governed by Washington completely down to the minutia of you have to wear masks in your school and you're not allowed to breathe. And, and it's just right. ridiculous. And I think hopefully that was the straw that broke the camel's back. I wish you guys much success and look forward to really covering this as time goes on and possibly in other States. Take care. Thank you, Daniel. So again, that was Matt McCall of Citizens for Greater Idaho. Let me know your thoughts. Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. I'll be back in the flesh on Tuesday. But I want to know what your ideas are. I'm not married and emotionally invested in any one idea. But if you could kind of ascertain the pattern from what I'm doing, it's throwing up everything with one common denominator that it accentuates the divide that already exists. We have an irrevocable, vicious, one-way war. I wish we didn't, but it's got to be two ways, except we're not going to do it the way they do it. I'm going to try to subjugate them and beat them. They're too large, too powerful in their areas. It's it's a maggot-infested carcass. But let us live our lives. And this reverberates everywhere. You could think about it. Those of you living in you know, large swaths of, uh, you know, what is it, like Weld County, Colorado, that area, be a part of Wyoming, greater Wyoming, maybe parts of New Mexico, be a part of Arizona. I don't know. In this case, it's real black and white. It's possibly the most in the entire country. I think Western Maryland and West Virginia is, a, is an easy fit, too, because they're both panhandles, just geographically, culturally. But you get the point that... Obviously, we need to move to red states, but the problem is the red states aren't even red. We need to make them redder. So this is another way of making them redder you combine. It's another way of reminding them of the need for it, reminding them of the difference, that the people are different, but the political leadership isn't, and we're not going tit for tat. We have to accentuate that divide, and that's part of my thing. I don't know if I envision that this will ultimately happen in one or certainly many places. But what I do know is the more you're serious about several of these ideas and they become mainstream, the more at a minimum it will at least wake everyone up like, oh my gosh, it's that bad. Oh my gosh, we need to do more than just 
vote for generic crappy Republicans every other November and then do nothing else and have our lunch eaten, you know, every day in between them. And they'll realize that, like, oh, wow. So, like, this is another way. Is, there's multiple benefits to this. It's another way of, of red-pilling Idaho itself. So maybe Oregon's irrevocably lost, so then they could move there. You know, but at least they'll be moving to something that's not just marginally better than Oregon, but truly better. And then, yeah, I mean, it would be nice to have a solution because on the one end, you want to move. On the other hand, it is a recognition that the overwhelming majority of areas, I mean, you look at, even if you believe that the election was fair, you look at the 2016, 2020 election, look at a county map and you'll see, you know, everyone jokes around, oh, there's nothing but cows in those areas. All the people live in, you know, 10% of the counties. I understand that. But at, at the end of the day, those counties exist. The landmass exists. And the people that do live in those areas reflect a worldview that's the polar opposite of the Antifa values in a place like Portland. And they should have autonomy. It, you, you know, if you have such large swaths of area so different, so far away, being governed by something so different, that's not representative democracy anymore. Um, the same way if we didn't have states and we just had a federal government, I think we'd all understand that. So it's the same thing, too. The way the state boundaries are drawn in many parts of the country are really outdated and have the same problem that our founders envisioned if you only had a federal government without the states, if you abolish the states. We need to update that. Thomas Jefferson knew best when he said that uh, he hated cities. He said the mobs of great cities add just so much to support of pure government as sores do to the strength of a human body. Um, he told Madison one time, I think our government will remain virtuous for many centuries as long as they are chiefly agricultural and this will be as long as there shall be vacant lands in any part of America. When they get piled upon one another in large cities, as in Europe, they will become corrupt as in Europe. Our founders really, and Jefferson was keen on this, they viewed the cultural difference between America and Europe. Remember, now America's become a huge just melting pot of everything imaginable especially the last 100 or so years. But, you know, back then they were, you know, very similar to the people in England, Scotland, you know, a little bit of uh, Ireland, Scot uh, fr France, and Germany. So, you know, weren't that much different. But the, the big difference, if not the biggest difference, was the urbanization. And America was a frontier. And with that comes a mindset. You're closer to God. Um, that's just how it is. And as you well know, that really is the divide, ultimately. <laughs> it really isn't so much of a rural-urban divide inherently. It's a God divide. It's a values divide. And that's expressed through the land itself. And we need to understand that. And I think, if, if nothing else, this will help accentuate it. You know, so maybe if you're loud enough and you're raucous enough about it, you might not get, hey, I'll let you go, but heck, maybe you get a concession out of it. Maybe you have some autonomy from some of this. But you ain't getting it if you don't demand something dramatic. That's what I'm telling you. So, you know, some of my ideas, I actually think they're, they should be done in, in, in and of themselves. But if, you, but if you want even a five, you have to ask for a ten, and you have to build the momentum among your own people and your own voters to support that. 
And you can't just be, oh, it's never going to win, so I'm just going to vote it down or I'm not into it. So what are you into? Okay? Again, sometimes, again, that's why I support the convention of the states too. It's not that I really think in our lifetime that we'll be dead by the time you get 34 and then 38 states on anything, and even what they want to do is very modest, but it's the idea and the movement behind it that's not going to be solved in Washington. We need to think of something else. We need to focus on state legislatures. It's it's almost the process, the grassroots process through which you push that alternative idea that in itself creates a more informed, active, based, base, so to speak, in the red areas to make them redder, to over time get better representation whether it's initially republicans and hopefully eventually not um you know or or they just use it for party access i'm not i'm, I'm ballot access i'm not so concerned with the party it's the mo- it's what are the issues and strategies that we are working on not just reacting but acting that that we're going to do our own things look at what desantis is doing he's not just waiting to respond to the left he makes them respond to him and he's a governor of a big state with you you got i mean you got all the Miami, Palm Beach, Broward, Fort Lauderdale areas. You got Orlando. You got Tampa. Got a lot of big cities there. It's the third largest state in America, third most populous state. And he's doing it there. You mean to tell me we can't do this in Idaho and Wyoming, West Virginia? Are you kidding me? But if we just sit back and be like, oh, well, we have Republicans. Democrats aren't there. We're good. You're going to get Democrats embodied through Republicans, except you won't be able to kick them out and hold anything over them because they're not worried about the Democrats. They have a monopoly. What are they going to do? So all the liberals run as Dems. you got to think of multiple strategies. Again, I'm not going to be a broken record and everything I do is greater Idaho or you know a similar thing in other states. It's one of many strategies to achieve several of our goals of localism, combining, unifying our people, accentuating the divide, bringing the divide that exists to the brink so we could come to some sort of resolution and not have this continuous passive aggressive fake fight but not really do anything and the left continues to win and things continue to get worse. No, it is that bad. It's as bad as we need secession. We need our own country. We need everything. Um, so how do we at least bring it, make it, give it, you know, bring it to that line where again, we don't need a new country per se, but we do need to utilize the jurisdictions that we have the red states and counties that we do have and find different ways to truly make them reflect our values and have our voices heard, at least in some place. We know we don't expect it everywhere. You know, we can give them half the places, but we need our places. Right now we have 100% tyranny. Florida's on a good path. More work to be done. Where else could we do that? I ain't seeing it, and that's why... I am choosing to act rather than react. Again, send me your comments, questions, and concerns for Matt and the folks at Greater Idaho. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all. Pass on the word. And thank you for listening.